You're heading south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 96, covering the week of October 30th through November 3rd, 2017. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you that if you like this podcast, please share it around on social media. You can find us on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Abbeville Institute, on Twitter at Abbeville Institute, and on fa- on uh, YouTube, I should say. Subscribe to our YouTube page at Abbeville INST. We will be having some new videos going up on the YouTube page very shortly from our summer schools. You can go out there and look at the uh, video lectures there. We've got the audio already available on the website but we'll have the videos up on the YouTube page uh, not too long from now. Also, uh, if you go to our homepage, uh, abbevilleinstitute.org, you can give us an email address and we'll give you a free ebook, Kirkpatrick Sales Emancipation Hell, and you'll get our daily dose of Dixie Monday through Friday and our weekly email on Saturday or Sunday. Also, while you're there, you can go to our membership uh, section. Just go at the top of the page where it says support. Click on memberships for individuals, and you'll find all of our membership options. Remember, we do exist on your generous contributions alone, and this podcast is airing on November 4th, and so we are in charitable giving month. And so uh, please make us part of your plans for the end of the year and giving to charities. We are a tax-exempt, 501c3 tax-exempt organization. So uh, if you're making your plans for your taxes for the end of the year, you want to cut down on the amount of taxes you pay, and you want to give to our cause and help us explore what is true and valuable in the Southern tradition, you can do so by making a donation to the Abbeville Institute. For as little as $3 a month or $25 a year if you're a student, or $5 a month or $50 a year if you are not a student, you can help us in our mission. Of course, we'd take more than that. We'd love to have your support in whatever amount you want to give us. But this will help keep the podcast going, the website up and running, and, of course, help us keep putting together high-quality programs. We do have one coming up uh, at the beginning, early uh, 2018. We'll have more information on that shortly. Uh, but um, we, we do need your support to do those type of things. So please keep us in mind when you're making your uh, plans for your taxes for 2017. Okay, all of that said, let's talk about the week. We had a lot of good stuff here, a lot of things to talk about, uh, and some things that I'm going to work into this particular podcast that work with some of the pieces we had and some information that uh, has come out. Um, you know, first and foremost, there's a horribly despicable television ad running in Virginia. Uh, against the governor gubernatorial candidate Gillespie there, showing a guy riding around with a pickup truck with a battle flag on the back. He's got a Tea Party license plate. And the idea is he's just running around trying to intimidate and chase around uh, uh, minority residents of the state of Virginia. This is just completely stupid. But this is the climate in which we live in, that somehow uh, the Tea Party or the battle flag is seen as just a symbol of hate. And how did we get there? Particularly when you look at uh, the way people thought about Southerners for most of the period of time after the war was over, particularly in the in the uh, 20th century, uh, when people like Dwight Eisenhower kept a portrait of Robert E. Lee and uh, would, would defend Lee. Uh, and we'll talk about a piece that has to do with that. And, of course, uh, Laura Ingram and in her show The Ingram Angle had uh, General Kelly on, and he talked about how he thought Robert E. Lee was an honorable man. And that produced all kinds of backlash from uh, historians, you know, the, the establishment professional class, uh, which is, uh, you know, of course, 
Uh, many of us in the Abbeville Institute have PhDs, and we disagree. But uh, that's uh, the, the professional, professional class was all up in arms over this. And uh, I did my own personal uh, podcast on that at, at one point, uh, the Brian McClanahan Show this week. So if you want to head on over there, uh, you can check that out. But um, the fact is, Americans for generations thought of the South differently. And this is not wrong to think that way. Uh, but the way the South is being portrayed now is is highly problematic and I think dangerous. You want to talk about dangerous. That particular campaign ad is dangerous. Reconciliation was actually an attempt to solve some of the danger that surrounded. We had a war. People were shooting at each other. Now we're, reconciliation is important so we don't shoot at each other anymore. And we actually have a conversation and we cross the, the battlefield and shake hands and say, okay. The war is over. Let's get on with living. Let's let's get back to normal again. We lost. The South lost. You won. Okay, uh, we're part of the union again. So let's let's be part of this union. Uh, and this whole point, what we're doing now, and playing these games with this Gillespie ad and other things, is actually creating a situation where, as General Kelly said, no one can talk. No one can actually have a conversation when you run political ads like that, because all you're going to do is create a climate of fear anxiety, distrust, uh, hate, not not on the part of people flying battle flags or having Tea Party license plate. The hate comes from the other side. It's very evident. Who are the real people that hate in that particular case? It's not the people flying the battle flag. They don't hate anybody. Who are the people? The people putting that ad on hate people with Tea Party license plates. It's clear. They hate them. And so uh, this is the case, but that actually brings us to the first piece of the week, which was written by Jonathan Harris, entitled The Antebellum South and the Reformation Tradition. And uh, Harris makes a very good point in this piece. And it's a long piece, um, and it has to do with the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Now, full disclosure, uh, I, I was reared Catholic, so uh, for me, uh, you know, this is a different kind of piece. Uh, but I think it's important to understand the diversity of religious opinion in the South as well. I mean, there's a reason why Charleston was called the Holy City, because there was a tremendous amount of diversity of religious opinion in the South. But also to understand that Protestantism in the South and how the split of the Protestant churches contributed a great deal to the problems that led to the war. Again, it was distrust between people. It was highly controversial, highly antagonistic, highly problematic when it came to uh, the future of the United States when you had this schism in the Protestant churches. And as uh, I think Harris does a nice job in showing, Southerners were not just making this, and of course, you know, it's often shown that this was, well, it was about slavery. Well, as he shows in this piece, it wasn't about the morality of slavery. It was about interpreting Scripture, but not just that. Southerners are pointing out this was just a first step in a greater war to reform America. After slavery, then what would come? Then you would get uh, all the other isms and the reform movements that took over the United States that were destroying traditional America. And so Jonathan Harris is very interested in a, in a traditional Christianity. And so as people like Thornwell and Dabney and others pointed out, well, this is just the beginning. Uh, it's not about... Uh, it's not just about slavery per se. It's about the bigger issues confronting the church 
Western civilization and American society? Are we going to accept reform and all the things that come with that? Uh, and this was, uh, more importantly, an understanding of the scriptures. And as he points out, look, the, the people that were against this really weren't, uh, they were Unitarians, many of them. Uh, they had essentially abandoned the church, uh, and they were Christians in name only. And Southerners would say at the time, look, we defend slavery because this is what we're told at, at, at a church every Sunday, at the pulpit. This is what the minister says. Uh, you know, uh, one of the nicest examples of that is uh, Victoria Clayton's White and Black Under the Old Regime, where she essentially says it. Look, we believed in slavery because that's what we were told in church was the correct position. Uh, and so Genovese, Eugene Genovese, has made, you know, done a wonderful job explaining the Southern position in his mind of the master class, uh, explaining the, the theological position of the South, and at least giving it a fair reading um, and we can look back at that and say, well, I mean, we don't agree with that now. Uh, but understanding the South is important, understanding the position, and understanding that these, this battle, this split in the church was a rupture that was also going to lead to a rupture of the Union. And people were appealing at the time, look, we need to keep the church together because if we rupture here, we're going to rupture somewhere else. And obviously they were correct about that. So this is an interesting position because uh, we're now getting to a point, I think, where people, there's a poll out, 58% of Americans are uncomfortable talking about politics with other people. Why? Because they're afraid of reprisal. They're afraid of repercussions. This is no longer about, hey, I support candidate A and you support candidate B, but hey, we're friends anyways. And uh, some of these things are getting pretty nasty. And you've got a certain segment of society now that has made it nasty because they're running ads like the Gillespie ad. They're becoming very violent at rallies. They're saying, you know, hate speech, quote unquote. What is that? What does that even mean anyways? Uh, And if you just don't agree with them, well, that's hate speech. And so they're physically trying to shut people down, becoming very violent. This is is extremely dangerous. Uh, And of course, that begets violence from the other side. So if we want to avoid violence, then we need to actually have a real conversation about things and a mature adult conversation and not reduce everything to, uh, to you know, slogans and platitudes and name-calling. Uh, now, it's, it's, I mean, when people are stupid, you want to call them out as being stupid. But the fact is, I mean, we're in a situation now where uh, we're, we're approaching, I think, in so many ways, this is actually terrifying. I mean, look, the way the South was demonized before the war, we're approaching that same type of political climate now in 2017 that we had in 1857 and 1858. Uh, and so that's a dangerous situation to be in. And hopefully we can, we can have cooler heads prevail at some point, and this won't get out of hand. But when General Kelly stands up and says, look, Lee's an honorable man, and the, and the people jump on him right away and say, how can you say that? We have a real disconnect in America. And this is uh, Dr. Livingston's point about you know, American society, how we are so much more disconnected now than we've ever been in the history of America and how dangerous that actually is for the future of America. We're not even on the same page anymore. That reconciliationist narrative is what actually allowed the United States to heal and bond and create the American century. We don't have that. We don't have that, <laughs> that United States anymore. 
But that's that's the situation running into, and I think this piece by Jonathan Harris does a nice job in pointing out the differences in theology between North and South, and uh, how those were manifesting themselves, and uh, you know, understanding Northern and Southern theology is important for understanding uh, the uh, the situation leading to war in 1861. Uh, in that case, uh, we also had a piece on Tuesday, a review of the book Lincoln and Davis: Imagining America. Uh, and the review is written by John Devaney, one of Clyde Wilson's students. And essentially what this, what this particular book gets into is understanding who Jefferson Davis and Abraham Lincoln were, uh, not just as presidents, but also as men. And I think it's clear if you look back at this, and we could, we've talked about this already on this particular podcast, but who was a better man, who was a more honorable man, who had a, a more American background. I mean, Lincoln was very American, but so was Jefferson Davis. And Jefferson Davis was married into the family of, for briefly, of the President of the United States. Zachary Taylor was his father-in-law. This is a guy that served in the highest levels of government. Secretary of War, United States Senator. Uh, he was a well-respected military mind. Went to, went to, the, uh, went to uh, West Point uh, so it wasn't like he was a, a, a stupid guy. Uh, in fact, very intelligent. Uh, was was integral in the uh, expansion of the United States Capitol building and uh, helping build up the United States Army. I mean, this this was an important man with a very aristocratic upbringing. Uh, he was he was refined. He was a gentleman's gentleman. In contrast, we have Abraham Lincoln, who was uh, in some ways also an American type story. You know, grew up on the frontier. Uh, liked to tell dirty jokes, liked to wrestle, uh, wasn't seen as too bright. Uh, even people like Albert Taylor Bledsoe uh, you know, talked about how Lincoln was a very good uh, manipulator, but that's about it. Uh, he, he wasn't that good in the formal aspects of combat, and Bledsoe actually had to teach him how to use a sword. Uh, Lincoln was an opportunist. He had the biggest house in Springfield, Illinois, right across from the Capitol building, so he could go argue uh, for his uh, very well-funded clients against the common man. So uh, we have two men, both originally from Kentucky, who are uh, certainly different in how they perceive the world. Uh, though, uh, you know, we often, Davis is often considered to be the inferior of the two when it comes to uh, the, how the historical profession views them, but maybe that's not necessarily the case. Uh, maybe Jefferson Davis, and I think not just maybe, but yes, it is. Jefferson Davis may uh, was the better man of the two, but because his side lost the war, we've got this reverence for Abraham Lincoln. Remember, sixty percent of the American public did not want Abraham Lincoln to be their president. Sixty percent in eighteen sixty, and even in eighteen sixty four, he could only get muster fifty five percent of the northern vote. <laughs> so it wasn't like he got eighty percent of the northern vote. Fifty five percent. That's pretty pathetic, actually, when you think about it. People didn't like Abraham Lincoln. People didn't trust Abraham Lincoln. There's a reason why he was Honest Abe. It's kind of like calling a big man tiny. Uh, he wasn't very honest. And uh, Lincoln certainly was responsible, I think, uh, for for bringing about the war. Now, people like... Uh, um, so some people, I should say, not people like some historians, have put the blame at both the North and the South. Even Jefferson Davis and trying to, uh, you know, push for war. Though Davis's public statements were very conciliatory, uh, and I think that um, 
his his position on the war was certainly different than than Lincoln's, who said, uh, you know, we're going to enforce the laws, which means we're going to fight. Without question, that's what that means. Uh, so this is a really good piece, and I think it does a nice job bringing out the differences in the two and, of course, reviewing the book. It's a book that was published in 2001, so it's not a new book, but uh, it's certainly one that you should uh, you should read. In fact, uh, Dr. Devaney does a nice job uh, giving the author uh, Brian Dirk credit for actually trying to be at least even-handed with Jefferson Davis, which often isn't the case anymore. I mean, Jefferson Davis is just being torn down. He's a traitor. He needs to be removed from society. Uh, but at least, uh, Dirk, in 2001, you could actually have, I mean, just you know, 16 years ago, you could actually say nice things about Jefferson Davis, and you wouldn't be a pariah in America. Now, uh, on Wednesday, we ran a piece by Mel Bradford, uh, the late Mel Bradford, entitled The Fighting Gamecock Thomas Sumter. And uh, the reason I love this piece uh, is because, you know, we do a lot with the war, and we do a lot with Confederate symbols and Reconstruction, but we also have an, underst- have, have an obligation to talk about all of Southern history, which is 400 years of history. And part of that, of course, is uh, this American founding period. And Thomas Sumter was a very important guy in the founding. Uh, I've written about Thomas Sumter in my Politically Incorrect Guide to the Founding Fathers, the Fighting Gamecock. Of course, this is where University of South Carolina gets its nickname from. Uh, Thomas Sumter, without Thomas Sumter, perhaps the uh, the United States, uh, the states themselves, do not win the American War for Independence. Uh, Sumter, along with Rutledge and, uh, and Pickens and uh, Marion, were uh, doing a very good job in leading a guerrilla action in the South, which uh, forced the British to evacuate the Southern Theater eventually and then into Virginia where uh, uh, Cornwallis was eventually trapped by the French and uh, Washington's troops and resulted in the victory for the United States in the American War for Independence. Uh, So uh, we cannot forget people like Thomas Sumter, who lived to a very ripe age, into his 90s. Uh, The guy was almost 100 years old when he died. And he was a great states' rights guy. In fact, what you would find with these Southern founders, people like Marion and Sumter and others, is they were fighting for their state, not for this United States. They were fighting for South Carolina. They were fighting for Georgia or North Carolina. You know, the Battle of Kings Mountain, where these men came out of the hills and and uh, beat uh, a, a an American Tory force. But they were fighting for North Carolina. Not for, not for uh, the United States. They're fighting for North Carolina. They're fighting for South Carolina. They're fighting for their home from an occupation, an occupation army. And so when you look at that particular cause, if I was to say that this army is fighting for hearth and home against an invading force some in the South, this Southern army was fighting for hearth and home against an invading force, you would think I'm talking about the war for Southern independence. No, I'm talking about the American war for independence. In fact, as we've already talked about in this podcast, the British said Southerners were fighting for slavery during this time period. Of course, we don't. that's not the narrative we get now, but this is what the British said. Lord Dunmore in Virginia was certainly saying Virginians are fighting for slavery, and Washington was unwilling to allow slaves to be freed and, and brought to uh, Canada. He said, no, that's not going to happen. They stay here. So, uh, you know, were these founders, Southern founders, uh, guilty of, of fighting for slavery. Of course, if you look at what happened here in uh, uh, Christ Church in Northern Virginia, well, George Washington's uh, plaque has to be removed because he was a slaveholder. And this is George Washington. Of course, everyone knew this was going to happen. We've been saying it now for two years 
actually longer if you look at the stuff we've written on the website. But on this podcast, we've been talking about this for two years. This is just the beginning. Confederate statues, low-hanging fruit. Once that's picked, they're going to go after the Southern founders. They're going to go after Jefferson. They're going to go after Washington. They're going to go after Madison and Monroe and anybody else they can think of. They're going to start trying to take down anybody that was associated with slavery in any way because we have to start American history in 1970. Uh, And even then, it's a little problematic because we can't really start until maybe Gerald Ford because Richard Nixon had his Southern strategy. And then maybe, uh, you know, Ronald Reagan's not palatable enough because he also appealed to the South and he played Confederate people in movies. So we can't do that. So we can't have Ronald Reagan. Uh, Maybe then we got to get to George H.W. Bush. Oops, can't do George H.W. Bush because, oh my gosh, uh, the guy is, uh, is now... Uh, uh, groping people. So we can't have that. So uh, maybe it's Bill Clinton. No, no, can't have Bill Clinton because he was running uh, Clinton-Gore. His campaign was using Confederate battle flags. Can't have Clinton-Gore now. Uh, So maybe then we got to go to George W. Bush. No, 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 no. George W. Bush was a Southerner. These Southerners supported him, so we can't do that. Oh, basically we have to start the American history uh, with Barack Obama. But wait a second. Barack Obama, he's associated with slavery. His mother was part of a slaveholding family, and his father certainly in Kenya was part of slaveholding tribes. So we can't do that. So now we're to Donald Trump, but now Donald Trump has General Kelly, and Donald Trump is defending Confederates. So I don't even know when we're going to start American history. As, uh, As we've written on the website before, it has to be John Quincy Adams. It's the only person we can talk about as a good American. Let's just have a statue of John Quincy Adams all over the United States. We're going to rename everything. Everything is going to be the Adams building, uh, the Adams uh, part of seat of government. We're just going to rename it all Adams, and that's all we're going to do. Because you see, this is what happens when you start saying we got to take down everything to slavery. we got to take down the entire church. we got to destroy everything. That is the point in all of this. Western civilization must come down. We're seeing it. So Thomas Sumter can't be celebrated because, <gasps> gasp, he was a slaveholder in a slaveholding state, and yet he fought for independence, but still, uh, he enslaved people, and he, and he supported South Carolina nullification. <gasps> Can't have that. Can't support a guy like that. He's not a good nationalist. And if he was a nationalist, he'd be a nationalist in the wrong cause. So we can't have that. Uh, I think it's important to make fun of all these things. These people are just absolutely stupid. Uh, but the, and, and the people that are really problematic are the ones who have uh, just good intention people that, oh, yeah, you know, I know that, well, I guess George Washington could be offensive. They need to just say, look, shut up. We're not taking his, not taking his plaque out. Get a life. Go away. But no, we're not going to do that anymore. We won't do that. We would do it. We would do that. But, uh, you know, the people, in, you know, they're not going to do that. And so that actually brings us to our piece, Citizen Lee, written by the late William Freehoff. Uh, and this talks about how Lee got his citizenship back. Now, this would be on her. If this was happening now, if Robert E. Lee had never gotten his citizenship back, if that had never happened, he would not get his citizenship back today because you have people like David Blight saying Robert E. Lee was a traitor. He committed treason. So if Lee had not gotten his citizenship back when he did, through Gerald Ford in the 1970s, then Robert E. Lee would never get his citizenship back. Thankfully, we actually had people in government at that time who actually had a level head and who understood American history and weren't morons like David Blight. Because 
if we did still have morons like if we, if we had, I mean, people now, I, 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 now Trump would probably give uh, Lee his uh, citizenship back. Uh, but I, I don't know if, uh, you know, Obama would have done it. I, I can almost guarantee you he wouldn't have. Um, certainly that wouldn't have happened. Uh, Lee would have been a traitor. And this is how Lee is portrayed nowadays. A traitor. That's it. So uh, it's, it's comforting to see that at one time, Robert E. Lee was not just a traitor. Robert E. Lee was actually someone who deserved to have his citizenship back. Deserved um, deserved to be considered an American, an American hero. Not just a Southern hero, but an American hero. Uh, and uh, it's amazing how, uh, how we've, we've gotten to a point where this just can't even be considered palatable anymore. You stand up and say Lee was a good man, and every... Establishment historian jumps on you. But for a time, that wasn't the case. Uh, and so, you know, we, we've gotten to, we, we have to think, uh, gosh, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? What we're doing here is creating a climate in America that's going to create hostility. It's not productive. It's not good. It's not beneficial for America. And it's dangerous. Robert E. Lee should be an American hero for all. For all. Not just for, you know, a certain segment of the population, but for all Americans. As Booker T. Washington said, look, we should put up Confederate memorials to the best men in the South. To the men that best represent the South. And Robert E. Lee was one of those men. So Booker T. Washington said. Now, of course, David Blight would just say, well, he's a reconciliationist. Oh, that's a bad thing? It's a bad thing to have reconciliation. It's a bad thing for people to say, hey, uh, we need to mend the wounds of the war. We need to heal these things up. That's a bad thing. David Blight, obviously it is. Shouldn't be, but obviously it is. So I like this particular piece because it shows how far we've come. Uh, it's how, how far we've actually come, how dangerous the, the climate has actually gotten, that in, in less than 40 years, in 30 years, 30 to 40 years, we've gotten to a point where uh, the fact is we couldn't even have Robert E. Lee be recognized as an American citizen anymore. Uh, and that's, that's a sad commentary on American history today. But that's where we are. Uh, so... On a lighter note, the final piece of the week was written by the late Bill Kuhn. Uh, again, this is uh, all these these last three pieces were published all in the 1980s. We're just re republishing them here, but this is good. This is a, it's entitled "A Note on Southern Humor and How Southerners Are Actually Very Good at Humor." In fact, they write the best humor. Now, that's an important point to make because, as I just said, these people need to be made fun of. What we really need are Southerners out making fun of the stupidity of the people attacking the South. And we're going to try to start doing more of that with the Institute uh, on our face, on our social media, for example. We're going to try to do more of the making fun stuff and parroting these people and just really making fun of them, satire and other things. Because there's nothing better than Southern humor. 
and to show these people for what they really are and how stupid they actually are and how these positions are so un-American uh, and to really show that. I mean, this is what this is why people voted for Trump. They're tired of PC and we're getting sad. We're getting abused. We're getting over the head with it again. Uh, and we need to show these people for being the little whiny snowflakes that they are. And maybe, just maybe, enough of that will get through and it will stop. Make fun of the people and it will stop. Because they're very good. I mean, you have late night talk shows making fun of us, making fun of people that believe, I mean, in, in our positions, they've done it for years. And I think one thing you're seeing with that is definite blowback. People are just turning this stuff off. But maybe we need to make our fun of our own people. We, need, we have very good comedians in the South. I mean, look. Louis Grizzard was great for making fun of Northerners. You know, Delta's ready when you are. And so we need people like that. If you're someone that writes good jokes, start making fun of stuff. Send us stuff that's comedic. Send us stuff that makes fun of these people and cuts them down to what they really are. A bunch of nincompoops. Because that's what's needed. Satire, comedy, goes a long way to showing how stupid these people actually are. And so I love this piece because he does that. And he explains, you know, what Southerners really are. I mean, we, we're very good at telling jokes. We're very good at being lighthearted. Uh, and so pointing out the obvious is comedy. That's important. Pointing out the obvious stupidity of something and showing how, how, you know, how destructive these things actually are. We can complain about it. We can get up in arms. We can get very angry. But the best, the best method, I think, in many ways, would be to make fun of them. If there's anything that I admire about Rush Limbaugh, and Rush Limbaugh's got his own problems intellectually, but one thing he does very well is make fun of things. He's always made fun of the left in a way that's hilarious. Now, we've got our own problems because when it comes to the South, we've got people on the so-called right who are also attacking the South. And they should be taken a task for that. I mean, this is why we had the piece, uh, you know, on Russell Kirk and how Russell Kirk actually used to like the South. I mean, he was intellectually honest. But uh, we need to be, uh, you know, attacking the people that attack us in a way that makes them feel stupid. And you can do that with comedy. And so I would hope that people get that message. And that's what I do like about that little piece on uh, note on Southern humor. Uh, Bill Kuhn uh, just passed away recently. He was... Uh, uh, chair of the English department, actually, at Clemson University. And uh, so there was a time when people like us were actually in positions like that, not not any longer. But um, it's it's unfortunate we don't have that anymore. But this is why we have things like the Abbeville Institute Summer School and this podcast and our articles, because that's the way we're reaching people. We can reach more people uh, this way than we could uh, in other ways. So, uh, you, again, going going back to our uh, to our month of giving, if you do support the Abbeville Institute, you are supporting the future of Southern education in America. And uh, this is vital nowadays more than any, any time before. I mean, maybe since Reconstruction, uh, having uh, this, this type of uh, voice and uh, method of reaching people is very important for explaining what the South is. What is true and valuable in the Southern tradition? What is it about the South that's worth preserving? Every tradition has got its good and bad, but what is it about the South? What's the good in the South that's worth preserving? And a critique, this is what Genovese said about the South was had the best and most lasting critique of modern America. And that's what that first piece talks about. This is what Robert Lee represents. This is why people uh, can, can objectively, if you just say, look, I mean, the South was not committing treason. 
Uh, this, is, this is a political question that we need to explore. The nature of the Constitution, the nature of the Union, these are things that the South represents moving forward in America and why it's important to understand those things. Until next time, good day. Thank you.